my original plan was to preach on the gospel reading today, which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, but a tragedy has occurred in our church, and I think we need to just state it so we can go on here a little bit. And that is that um, our dear friend, who is active in every single area of church life and on church staff, Consuela Frieswick, was hit by a car and died earlier this week. And as I was looking over the passages, it did become apparent to me that Paul's words were actually most helpful for today. And in our journey together as a church, it's Paul's words to the church in Philippi that the epistle reading devotes itself to, reflects upon, and let us join together in prayer. Lord, I um, ask that all of our hearts come together to see what it is that you have for us on this day. We ask, dear Lord, for the words through the power of your Holy Spirit to come alive for us in ways that we need them the most. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. The words of Paul, he starts out by giving his credentials, which is helpful because we do need to know who this guy is. He gives his extraordinary human credentials. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, he says, I have more. He basically goes on to say that he had the right and perfect pedigree. And he was from the right tribe. And he was part of the most elite group of Jewish men, which was called the Pharisees. And you know all about them who were the spiritual athletes in knowing and keeping and maintaining religious law. And Paul said, I possessed all of this and more. And I believe that when he refers to his zeal and passion in persecuting Christians, he's actually letting us know that he, that he was also quite dynamic, quite talented, and he did have a tremendous amount of influence. In fact, Paul tells us it didn't get any better than me. And the image that I have, I can't get it out of my mind, is Donald Trump. <laughs> and I'm sure Paul looked nothing like him, but the, he, in his area of expertise, says the same thing. Yet whatever personal gains I had, he said, I have become to regard as lost because of Christ. Because possibly, probably, these are the very things that gave him the illusion that he did not need Christ. The very thing that kept him from receiving the most important relationship he could have or would have would ever know. And that is, and this is out of the passage today, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I have to tell you, the church is ripped apart over this issue. Is he a personal God or not? I have many people in my own life who will say, you intellectually outgrow the need for a personal Christ. And I am here to say, that is our eternity, that is our hope, and that is our truth. The surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, is what we are looking at today. And this Greek of knowing isn't the gnosis knowing, which means accumulating data and information this is a personal, intimate relationship with Christ, which is of surpassing value, worth more than anything else. 
An active relationship with Christ often intensifies and becomes more real at breaking points. And we were talking about breaking points. These experiences last week when talking about being in the pit. Little did we know that this week we would be forced in a pit that is too deep to even consider. We are 100% fully into Lent. Every port of entry into a personal relationship with Christ is based on recognizing our need, our need for him, our need to cry out for help, our need to cry out for strength and understanding, our need actually to express gratitude and wonder and awe and our need to praise him. Our soul aches to praise him whether we know it or not. Our need to serve, our need to make a difference in the world, and our need to love. Jesus himself described the blessedness of need. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you've been talking about this in the Sunday evening Bible study, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor is synonymous with being in need. The truth is we do need And some find this a very, very disturbing concept. Somewhere along the line, we were taught, many of us, I don't know if everyone here has had this thing, but I was actually taught that there is something shameful about being needy. That it's not good to be in need. When Grandpa Nevstead, who was a Norwegian immigrant, moved to Chicago, he supported his family through, I think, some kind of automotive shop, And he broke his leg in the 1940s. And his church, he was a part of this church, helped build his church, came to his family. They probably paid the mortgage. They made sure that the five kids were fed. As soon as grandpa got better, his shame overtook him because of the need that had become him. And he moved his family to Detroit. Christ reveals to us the truth about us. Yes, we are wonderfully made. Yes, we are created in the image of God. But we also have a nagging and sometimes deep commitment to the idea that we in and of ourselves can find the answer. That we in and of ourselves have everything we need for life. We can be achieved. We can be strong on our own without help. But it's only to a very, very limited extent. The truth Jesus reveals to us is you are created in the image of God, but you are not God. Paul was so focused on personal achievement that he missed God in the process. And he kind of overlooked God until he was thrown to the ground on the Damascus Road, blinded by the light of the Almighty, and heard the voice of Christ. Jesus saves us and and It comes to us in many, perhaps countless ways. There are countless portals for entering into a relationship with him. And one that speaks loudly to me today, which I believe is for us today, is that he does say, come to me, all you who are weary. And the weariness we get, but it's the next part that is so meaningful at this second, and are heavy laden. And he's talking about, as we shall see, complete burdened and i will give you rest what he's telling us to do is release ourselves into his care his gentle yoke to fall back on to him 
a spiritual version of this trust game we used to play when I was in youth group, which is you learn to trust by falling backward into someone's arms. And in youth groups, sometimes they would just step away and let you fall. And so I still have trust issues to this day. But Jesus says, it's not just falling. It's not just leaning back. What I want you to do, what I, you need to do with the burdens that you have is to collapse. It is to let every part of your spiritual energy turn into jelly and collapse on to Christ. Don't hold anything back. Sink into him. It is the only thing that we can understand at some points in our life is the actual spiritual sensation of loving arms catching us. And Paul, as the passage unfolds, tells, that, tells us that when we are in an intimate relationship with Christ, or perhaps because of a, as a result of it, we will constantly be doing something else, straining forward. And it's interesting because Leaning In is the name of a new book about the women's movement right now. Leaning Forward is a network slogan right now. But before all of this was Paul and his language. Christ is about straining forward in pursuit of the goal, which is maturity in Christ, forgetting what lies behind. And we can do this with the strength of Christ in the strength of Christ, knowing one thing. There really is only one way to do that, and knowing that falling back in his arms is not just an option, but a necessity from time to time. Rest and relief for the journey. It is an essential part of the journey in race to fall back from time to time. The one thing that doesn't seem to be an option is refusal to do either. Neither fall back nor strain forward, but immobility, being spiritually detached, completely forgetting about God. And when that happens, we begin to focus on ourselves in such a way as we actually feel that we are the answer. We are the reason for existence. And we look to ourselves for power and the source of everything. We have the perceived need to prove that we are worthy and that we are somebody and that we are lovable and that is the exact thing he tells us not to do. That's what he's calling the burden. Our need to do this is the burden. In so doing, we will be burdened and overwhelmingly burdened. So focus on the weight of it all that we often can't admit to him that we are paralyzed and burdened. It feels spiritually as if we have a backpack of rocks, as if we have an armful of sticks that are poking us and unwieldy, as if we have weights on our ankles and on our wrists, as if we can only shuffle through life. Come to me, Christ said. Come to me and place all of it on me and I will give you relief from the biggest burden of all, which is the burden of your own self-righteousness. Come to me, and I will give you my actual righteousness. I will give that to you. My righteousness is yours. What I have gained, 
in personally knowing Christ, Paul said, is not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through the Father in Christ. The righteousness from God is based on faith. From God, the righteousness is from God. We could do good works the rest of our lives. We wouldn't have the righteousness of God. We could do nothing the rest of our lives and at the last second own the full righteousness of God. Do you realize how significant this is and how it eludes people all their lives? The righteousness comes from God. Leaning forward toward the goal, forgetting what lies behind, getting momentum as we move forward, and we become beneficiaries of facets of Christ's grace that overwhelm us. There are fruits of our knowing him, promises that amaze us, covenants that hold us close forever. He'll be with us to the end of the age. Eternity becomes real and everlasting. And through the Holy Spirit, we recognize eternity is here now. And we can see it from time to time at unexpected moments. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, Paul says. Nothing. At the women's retreat held last month, on Saturday night, the women were invited to share their testimony in an interview style of testimony. Consuela came forward and agreed to be interviewed. And this most highly churched, very intelligent, very involved, daughter of a Presbyterian minister, said to us, a few weeks ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I now have personal knowledge of him. A little more than a year ago, she had been with our partnership in Kenya and had been exposed in a greater, broader way to the dynamic of a personal relationship with Christ. Something broke loose in her. And she was announcing to the group her new connection with Christ. And Paul said, nothing, nothing can compare to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. Let us pray. You are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. Let us feed on this, precious Lord. Let us pray together. O oh God of grace and mercy, we gather here this morning as your people, acknowledging that you are our creator. You are the maker of everything and that the whole world you hold in your hand. And that world that you hold, that world you created and called good, that place of peace and perfection, God, we acknowledge that that place seems far from us. For it's hard for us to call the whole world good when there are storms that destroy. It's hard for us to see peace when our lives are filled with anxiety and stress. It's hard to see the perfection of your creation when our eyes and experience tell us just the opposite. And it would be easy, God, just to throw up our hands and declare that all is lost. But we are not here this morning because all is lost. We are here this morning because we have been 
found. We are here this morning because you are making all things new right here and right now. You are bringing in your kingdom and you are asking us to be a part of it. Right here and right now, you are redeeming creation and wanting us to play a role. Right here and right now, you are reminding us that the plan is in place. Christ is here and we are being redeemed. And so we ask this morning, God, that you will help us in the imperfection of this world. Help us to know how to be agents of the kingdom. Help us to know that when storms come, they are not of your making, but they are of your redeeming. Help us to be your hands and feet in the midst of the storm, and in the aftermath of the storm. And God, you know we are talking about all kinds of storms. Even the ones that seem to strike only us individually. Help us know that when illness and stress and anxiety and sadness fill our lives, it is not part of your plan, but part of what it means to live in a fallen world. And help us to know that no matter how bad things seem, everything is being made new in you. And God, this morning, hear our silent prayer of confession that we bring to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who makes all things new. Amen. Now at last the time had come this moment had been waiting with the alabaster jar the woman came to give it was all she had to give
Yeah. 